This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Hi guys. How are you? So today, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to try to teach through a chapter of the Bible. (laughs) So I've never done this before because I'm not good at this. Um, So so now that we're uh, excited about what I'm going to say. So we're in in the the series 1 Corinthians, Beautiful Mess, um, and what a beautiful mess it is. And I am tasked with doing the last chapter of Paul's introduction to the Corinthians. Chapters 1 through 4 kind of introduce uh, his issues with the Corinthians, and then he gets into the issues later in chapter 5. Um, and there's, there's really kind of three things that stand out to me in his introduction, chapters 1 through 4. Um, and that is that they really kind of weren't on the same page. That, that's the first thing that stands out to me. And so I thought maybe... Um, feel a little bit better about ourselves, that we could look at some other uh, parents and kids that weren't on the same page. Um, And so maybe you've seen these, but these are some text messages. I'm going to click up here. Text messages that kind of went wrong of parents and kids trying to get on the same page. Let's see. Hey, Dad, could you spot me some cash? Hi, how much and what for? I'm like 300 short on my Mott's applesauce payment due on the 15th. Sounds like this guy had a pricey subscription to Mott's applesauce. Oh, how much applesauce did you buy from him? Are you mentally okay? Valid question. And by the way, what happens when you, when you miss your Mott's applesauce payment? Do they like repo it? Does someone come and take your Mott's applesauce? I'm laughing so hard I can't breathe. I meant mortgage payment. (laughs) Let's look at another one. Do you still need help sewing? I can come over on Sunday. No, I urinated my pants today. I urinated my pants. Sounds like we got a problem. Mom, I heard you. Why? Are you okay? I'm trying to say unhemmed. I did not pee myself. <laughs> Problem availed. This is autocorrect. I don't know if you guys text, but this is autocorrect. That's, that's, that's getting in the way here. All right. I think I got a couple more. Your great aunt passed away. LOL. <laughs> oh, my. Why is that funny? It isn't. I'm very sad. Mom, LOL means laugh out loud. Oh no, I sent that out to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I don't know how the family responded to that. uh. Please stop changing the Google. Now this is my mom verbatim. I like the original background. Mom, I don't change the logo. Google changes it. 
on my computer, you don't run the Google? <laughs> the Google. That's great. If I did, I wouldn't be driving a 2004. <laughs> and this is classic my dad. Hey, you left your phone at home. That's funny. So an <laughs> example of people trying to get on the same page. When you read 1 Corinthians, you get the example that Paul and the Corinthians are just not on the same page, and he's trying to get them back on the same page. The other observation is that we see that, that the Corinthians were in a bit of a mess, right? Things weren't all perfect. Um, there, there was issues that Paul was trying to address, um, but the biggest prevailing thing that we see is that Paul was trying to draw their attention to something much bigger. They, they, there was division, there was judgment, um, they were in sin, there was sexual immorality, and he's trying to draw their attention to something much bigger, which was the gospel. In the first three chapters, Paul mentions the gospel of Christ and the covenant 14 times. And then a couple times again in chapter 4, the only thing that he mentions more than the gospel is God himself. So you get the idea that, that if, see, if I was Paul and I saw the Corinthians, I'd almost kind of want to shut the doors to the church. <laughs> I'd almost say, you guys, you guys have done enough uh, uh, wrong. You guys are in enough mess. Let's just shut the doors and let's start over. Um, but Paul doesn't. Paul says, hey, no, no, no. There, you guys are, 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 are a little bit off of this idea of the covenant, of the gospel. He almost seems to say, like, hey, the covenant is bigger. The gospel is bigger bigger than that. You think you have issues, but the covenant is bigger than that. Um, so before we get, jump into chapter 4, I think, I think it, if we just revisit the gospel really quick, um, that would help us in light of what's going on. So the gospel says that God sent his only son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross for our sins, that if we believe in him, our sins would be forgiven so that we could have a relationship with him. So uh, uh, a lot of times here, and especially in America, I think that we emphasize the idea that Jesus Christ died for our sins that were forgiven, and we kind of stop there, right? Like, like that, was, that was the means to God. That was the means to the destination. But we kind of emphasize that, hey, if you believe in Christ, your sins will be forgiven. But actually, the best part of the gospel is that that begins this relationship with Jesus, it's kind of like if I said, hey, okay, guys, um, you get an all-expense-paid trip to Disneyland. Woohoo! And I'm going to pay for your airplane ride. And you guys were like, whoa, airplane ride! Awesome! Free airplane ride! And I was like, oh, yeah, it's cool, cool. Airplane, free airplane ride is good. But it's the destination. Like, Disney, you guys are going to Disneyland. Like, that, it's, it's going to be better. Uh, Brian and Jen just got back from Hawaii, and I'm sure the best part for you guys was the airplane ride, right? <laughs> Perfect. So, so, so we kind of emphasize that, but we, we kind of fail to emphasize the great part of the gospel, which is that he forgives our sins so that we can have this awesome, amazing relationship with him, and it's a covenant, a covenantal bond. He promises things in this relationship, not just the forgiveness of sins. He promises. He says, I will always be with you. I will never 
leave you. I'll be with you in your good days. I'll be with you in your bad days. I'll be with you when you're afraid. I'll be with you when, when, when you don't have anything, when you're lacking. I want to fight for you. I want to tell you things about yourself that you don't even know. I want to say what you're called. Like, like there's so much in the gospel, the covenant, this promise that he has for us. And it's no, it, 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 it's no uh, wonder that, that Paul points us back to the covenant so many times amidst turmoil saying, whoa, whoa, guys, the covenant is bigger. It's awesome. Um, so let's, let's, with that in mind, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, guys, I don't have the verses up here. So you're going to have to pull a Bible out in front of, in front of you if you don't have one. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to go first to the first five verses. And again, I'm teaching here, so bear with me. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Okay, so let's stop real quick. In verses 1 and verses 2, really what Paul is setting up is his accreditation. Good way to say it, accreditation. He's saying, hey, okay, so we are, me and Apollos, he's talking about him and Apollos, were stewards of the mysteries of God. What does that mean? The gospel. The mystery was the gospel. And he actually planted and seeded Corinthians. So he's saying, hey, not all of you were stewards of the gospel. Just me and Apollos were stewards of the gospel to you guys. Okay? And if you were going to be a steward, you had to be found trustworthy. And see, part of this is that the Corinthians were saying that Paul and Apollos weren't trustworthy. They were making all kinds of accusations against them. They were dividing the two. I follow you. I follow you. Remember that? Like, like they had this mess going on. And Paul's saying, actually, if we did actually plant you and seed you, and we were stewards of the mystery of the gospel, we would have had to have been found trustworthy. So he's giving a little bit of accreditation to himself. And then the next three verses. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So I don't know about you, um, but I have, for the longest time, try, been trying to figure out what is going on in the Bible in regards to judging. Are we to judge? Are we not to judge? Because a lot of the Bible says not to judge. Paul just said it, don't judge. Don't judge before the appointed time. I don't even judge myself. But does even a little bit of you look at the book of Corinthians and go, kind of looks like you're judging. <laughs> Like the whole book, you have a lot of bad things to say about the people. And even if you go through the New Testament, there's a lot of other books where it's pointing out problems, pointing out people's mistakes, but yet we're not supposed to judge. Do you guys struggle with that at all? Like, but what, where's the line? It kind of seems kind of blurry, blue, you know? Um, even, so we have Matthew 7, the famous do not judge passage. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, the same measure you use it will be measured to you. Okay, got it. Don't judge. So what are we supposed to do when someone's doing something wrong? 
The Bible doesn't say not to correct. And so for me, this is how I, this is how I manage the two. Um, I've broken it down into two categories, right? Correcting people with love, oftentimes more love, good. Judging people, deciding what you're doing is wrong, and then treating you in a less than loving manner because what I think you're doing is wrong. Not good. And so then, kind of in light of this context, Matthew 7 makes sense. Because then it goes on to say, take the log out of your eye first, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Almost to say that if you are judging, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't judge somebody as doing something bad and then treat them in a less than loving manner. Almost to, almost to say, I'm going to punish you. I'm taking your punishment into my hands because I don't like what you're doing. If you're doing that, chances are you've got this log in your eye that you can't see clearly. Chances are you have some kind of sin issue that you're dealing with that, is, that you're projecting on the other person, and it's really hard for you to correct them in love. Don't do that. First, remove your own lo- the log in your own eye. Address your own sin. And then it almost seems, I love how it says, then the speck in your brother's eye. Like almost says, oh, hey. That's not, that's not a big deal. That's not all that big. So, so we, we have those two things that we're working with kind of here, um, where correction is, hey, you can't do that. That's wrong. But I'm going to love you even more in light of that. And then judging, where it's, hey, you can't do that. I don't like what you're doing. And I'm going to treat you in a less than loving manner. So I have an example of this. Um, at work, and I got permission to share the story, which is really exciting. At work, I know this young lady, um, and I walked in, and she said, she started telling me about her week, and she goes, oh, hey, and Nick, I moved in with my boyfriend. It's like, okay, you're telling me this? And so she goes on telling me about why she moved in with her boyfriend, and my heart sank. Like, my heart just sank, because I'm like, man, that's just, that's just not God's best for you. So I decided right then and there, like, hey, I'm going to say something. Because this isn't God's best. I said, hey, uh, has anyone told you that this isn't God's best for you? No. No one's told me that. She said, she said don't worry. We're celibate. <laughs> and I said, I said, if that's true, <laughs> if that's true, that's not what I'm worried about. <laughs> That's not the main concern that I'm worried about. Actually, I said, what I'm worried about is you're confusing your roles. You guys are playing house. And I'm not telling you this because I don't want you to have fun. I'm telling you this because it's actually going to be harder for you. See, God's God, God, and don't get me started on this, but God, God promised covenantal power under people who came under marriage. There was a good reason for what I was saying. And I said, actually, it... Under the covenant, he's the spiritual head. He's given power and, and A-OK-ness to do that. And then she can play in her role, and it's great. And, but what you guys are doing is you're playing house, and that's not God's best. And I know that you know Jesus, and I know that you'd, you'd want God's best. So she didn't say anything. And I never brought it up again. This is two weeks ago. And I made sure that I saw her every day, checked in. How are you doing? How's everything going? How's work? Blah, blah, blah. She's brought it up four times in the last two weeks. And she says, I just can't drop what you said last night. It was so confusing. He was doing this and I was doing that. And we didn't know who was in charge and what was going to happen. And it was just, I didn't even feel safe or secure. And I'm just sitting back, okay, 
wow, let me see, man. We talked about that, remember? Yeah, I remember that we talked about that. I do. And I said, hey, do you mind if I share your story? She said, yeah. I think what you said is right. I think we should move out. I just got to get the guts to do it. And she said, I told my boyfriend, and he doesn't like you very much right now. <laughs> I said, sell about my foot. He doesn't like me. There's a reason. Oh, man. Um, so, so correcting. So judging, correcting. Paul's kind of saying, hey, guys, don't judge before the appointed time. And, and by the way, he points to another day when God's going to take care of it all. Judgment day, okay? God's going to judge the motives, what's going on. And, and it's interesting because you would think, in light of all the mess, that he would say, and then he'll give the appointed wrath on that judgment day. He doesn't, actually. He says at the end of verse 5, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Almost as if to say, hey, I think... God will be happier with you than you think God will be. Which is kind of just that reassuring love. See, this whole time, Paul is really trying to love on these Corinthians. He's trying to love them back to the gospel. It says that God's kindness leads us to repentance, not his wrath. Um, quick note on verse 4. It says, For I am conscious of nothing against myself. This, Paul was not trying to say that he was sinless. Not at all. He was trying to say that I'm not even conscious of what the charges that you bring against me are. I'm not conscious that I'm, I'm not sure that I've done those things that you say that I've done. I'm not sure that that's true. I don't think they are. If they were true, I would have addressed them. I would have gotten closer to you. Um, so he's not trying to say that. He says, yet, yet by this I'm not acquitted, but you could be right. I may have done something wrong. My motives may have been off. Paul realized my motives are not always that great. They may have been off, but hey, don't worry about that. There's a judgment day. God's going to take care of that. Um, but, and by the way, I, I think one of the most common popular things that I've seen people uh, do when they judge, so I'm just using that in that context of that negative, hey, I'm going to love you in a less, I'm going to treat you in a less than loving way because of what you're doing I don't like. The most common thing I see people do is kind of withdraw their relationship from the person. I'm not going to talk to you. That's the most common. And then, and then I, all, I mean, it's a great check for me because at Christ Homes, I work with a lot of tough people. And then when they're really, really tough, I just want to say, okay, we're not going to talk anymore. Um, so, so, that, so that's the most common. And then the reverse of that, when you're correcting somebody in love, what ends up happening? You jump into their life. You get closer to them, not farther away. I want to help you. And even you see this with Paul, and, and we're going to see later in the chapter, he sends Timothy to them. I want to come with loving, gentle spirit to you guys. I'm going to, send, I'm going to give you Timothy, trying to over the top express love. Almost as if, if, if we're going to correct somebody, like uh, uh, my coworker, I thought I should go and just bring them dinner, like show up and have dinner for them. Not to enforce what they're saying, endorse it, but to say, hey, I love you guys. I don't want you at all to think that I don't love you. All right, let's move on. Verse 6 and 7. Read with me. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? 
verse 6 um, proves a little bit of a problem, not much of a problem. It says, so that you do not go beyond what is written. This is most commonly um, known to be, don't, don't go beyond the biblical standard. See, Corinth had a lot of speakers coming in, and they would love to give a word. And sometimes if they gave a new, a new shiny idea word, they could gain popularity and power. And, and, and this was throwing them off. And this is what kind of caused some of the divisions and the schisms in Corinthians. So he's saying the, the, the safest way to interpret this is to say, hey, don't go beyond what is written in the Bible. Almost if anybody was going to give a bright, shiny new word. I mean, Paul had the most grounds. He, he was the guy catching visions. He was the guy hearing from the Lord. But he didn't. He said, we applied it to ourselves. We're not going beyond what is written. And then in 7, this is great. For who regards you as superior? <coughs> no one, except themselves. What, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? Meaning all that you have. All that you have that is good, it was given to you. That's not because of you, because you're so great and you're so special. It was given to you. And then, so, so nothing. And then, and if you, did, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Look what we did. I always get the idea when I think of Corinthians as like a puffed up chest. Like, do, 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 do. like that's how people walk when they're puffed up. Um, they don't, but... It's the kind of idea that I get when I read this. Why do you boast as if you had not received it? Meaning, even your breath was given to you. Your ideas didn't come from you. They came from God. Your, your, your creativity, your success came from God. None of it is of you. See, what happens is when we come to know the Lord, our lives naturally get better. They just do. When we come to know the gospel, we come to know they just naturally get better. And that generally leads us to almost associate spiritual growth with worldly success and vice versa. Worldly success with spiritual growth as Christians. Dangerous temptation for us. Instead, when we are blessed, when we have something, we should be thinking, it should drive us down to our knees. What do you want me to do with this blessing? Who would you have me use it for? How would you have me use this? We have, we have a surplus. What should we do with it? Instead of boasting, look at how spiritual we are. We have money in the bank. We are spiritual. And so Paul's kind of coming against that thought. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 8. All right, guys. Paul's about to go all GOP on these guys. It's going to get a little dicey here. We're going to read all the way through to verse 13. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings, so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless 
and then check out their response to their poor situation. Verse 12. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. When we have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Boy, if I'm the Corinthians, this is tough to swallow. I'm thinking it's done. I'm thinking Paul hates me. I'm out the door. Woe is me. This is really bad. But then look at verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you. Really? Because it sounds like you did. It sounds like you're shaming them. But to warn you as my beloved children. So what Paul's doing, this is crazy, he contrasts their situations. You guys are doing great. And you guys are loving it. Our situation stinks. And look at our response. Verse 15. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. All right, so... You know what that means, guys. We got to go out and sell our homes. We got to go out and give our food away. We got to become hungry. We got to tear our clothes. We got to look poorly clothed. We got to become the scum of the earth, right? That's what Paul's saying. He says to be imitators of him. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that. He's saying, look at the difference between our hearts. You have everything, and you are in turmoil. You bicker, you complain, you judge, you condemn. You treat the rich better than you treat the poor. You're in sexual immorality, but you have everything. We have nothing, and we are so concerned with you. Now, as Paul is saying, imitate our hearts. How are they supposed to imitate the heart of Paul? None of us want to sell our homes. None of us want to give up, go home, and give up everything. He's talking about the concern there. What drives Paul's concern for these people? Could it be something that's so much bigger than just the forgiveness of sins? Just a green pass to say you're A-OK. Could it be this idea that Paul had a deep, deep understanding of this covenantal relationship that God was going to cover him no matter what? He was going to be everything that he needed at every moment. And he said, it drives us to not care for ourselves because we're, we're, we're more than A-OK with sin. We're, we don't even need the comfort of this world. We want to do anything that we can do to get to you. We want to do anything we can. And that's the difference between us. Paul's trying to say that with Corinthians. And he doesn't say this to, 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 to really come at them. He says it to warn them. You guys are headed down a dangerous path. Again, guys, Paul is so much more gracious than me. I think that we would just close the church. And start over. It's too far gone, let's go. But he says, no, I just want to warn you guys. And, and furthermore, I'm going to send Timothy down to be with you. Let's read. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. 
Just as I teach everywhere in every church, now some of you have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. That's my favorite verse, by one of my favorite verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? See, I would have already said I'm coming to you with the rod. I wouldn't have given them an option at this point. I said, I'm coming and it's going to hurt, right? So, and again, back to the idea of correction and discipline. As a father to them, he's saying, I will discipline you, which often requires more love if you're going to do it right. If you're going to discipline correctly, it requires more love, not less love. Or to come to you with a love, loving and gentle spirit. So, it's this intimate idea of God asking them to imitate him, saying, I have this idea of the covenant. I think you guys are losing your perspective on the gospel and the covenant. It's so much bigger than comfort and power and control and influence. And if I could say to you guys, I, wouldn't, I, I don't think Crossroads vies for any of that. I don't think we volley for power or control or influence. I would say to you that the gospel and the covenant is so much bigger than fear, than anxiety, than insecurity. It's so much bigger and it covers you and takes you there. That you want to give up that. You're willing to be insecure. You're willing, you're willing to go and face your fears. You're willing to give up control and comfort and power so that somebody else could know this. So uh, there's, this, there's this resident at Christ Homes. His name's Tyler. And Tyler's mentally retarded. He's, he's bounced around to a lot of different placements. Um, and he has these mannerisms that are really kind of annoying. Um, he goes around, and, and one of them is he, he claps really loud. Just goes, he walks up and down, claps. Up and down, up and down, claps. And my house parent, convinced that the covenant is bigger than this annoyance, said, hey, Tyler, are you clapping because you're stressed out and you're fearful? And Tyler stopped. He said, yeah. He said, every time I'm doing this, I'm thinking about everything that's happened to me in the past. And this is how I process it. So the house parent got down. And he said, okay. He said, I want you to clap. I'm going to clap with you. And so he starts clapping. He says, come on, come on, stress, go away. God's bigger. Come on, fear, go away. God's bigger. And Tyler just stopped. He said, I've always been asked to go and do this in another room. I've always been asked to get up and leave. Why do you clap with me? And my house, my house, spirit. He said, because God claps with me when I'm stressed and I'm afraid and I'm fearful and I don't know what to do. God does that with me so that I can do it with you. Come on, let's go, man. Let's clap. And that's an example. I'm so proud of my house parents. That's an example 
of somebody who owns the fact that the covenant was bigger than discomfort. He was willing to listen to clapping. The clapping became a joyful sound to my house parent because we're going to work through this. Yeah, we're going to work through this. He turned it around. That's what Paul's doing. He's trying to tell, tell the Corinthians there's something better than going after yourselves. There's something better than establishing power. Come on, guys. That's the kind of the introduction which sets up how he can correct them going forward. I'm going to invite Ben up. Ben's going to play for us. Um, and, and it's just, this song captures so beautifully what this covenant does. What this covenant is. And then the response of this covenant. Ever be on my lips, 
ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, you will be praised, you will be praised, with angels and saints we sing worthy are you Lord, you will be praised, you will be praised, with angels and saints we sing worthy are you So every time um, in the past that I've shared a story from Christ Homes, I got a new house branding couple. So I'll be taking applications at the back if you guys are interested. Um, but more seriously, would it be too much for us this week that in the midst of tough times, hard times, confusing times, angry times, fearful times, that we could just stop and say, hey, I believe the covenant is bigger than this. I know there's something better. I can't get to it now, but I really believe, God, that your covenant is bigger than this. And we run to that. Would that be too tough this week for us to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, there are so, so many out there that need to hear about this. Why is it that I spend so much time on me? Making sure that I'm okay instead of making sure that they know about you. How is it that I'm okay with this, God? I pray that you just change my heart and the hearts here. Any way that you see fit. Because it's, it, it's really not your wrath that's bringing us to repentance. It's the fact that you still love us so much that even when I care more about my comfort, you're coming to me with love. 
and saying, Nick, my, my promise to you is bigger. God, can we run to you this week? Can we join you in the work that you're doing? Would you open our eyes to see this, getting beyond ourselves to your mission? God, thank you so much. Our response to your covenant is that your praise will ever be on our lips. We get to praise you. What a wonderful thing. God, we know that you're with us. May we live like that is so. Live with that promise. We ask in your name, precious Heavenly Father. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.